Hey friends, I want you to lean in for the next minute because I want to give you something that will not only help your church grow, but build more momentum this coming fall. As more and more churches are looking to gather again in person and seeing diminished numbers, why not kick off that momentum again with a 40-day church-wide challenge? Our friends at the Red Letter Challenge have become the 40-day church challenge experts. Not only is this an amazing 40-day church series, but they've created all kinds of unique daily challenges as well for everyone in your church to complete. It's fun, it's amazing, and many people take steps towards Jesus. The outcome on this has been amazing. A jump in a church attendance, a jump in small group attendance, a jump in volunteer uh, engagement, so many things. Listen, they've got two challenges, two flavors. Their original red letter challenge, which helps people become greater followers of Jesus by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. But they've also got a brand new challenge called the Being Challenge, which will help everyone in your church grow in their relationship with God by practicing the habits of Jesus. Listen, more great news. If you are a pastor and you haven't seen this yet, they're going to mail you a free workbook with absolute no strings attached. All you need to do is go to Red Letter Challenge forward slash church or by emailing hello at redletterchallenge.com. Again, you can get a free uh, sample by just going to redletterchallenge.com forward slash church today. Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in. Every week we bring you a leader to both inspire and equip you. And today is no exception. I'm super excited to have have Pastor Ken Fisher with us. He's the executive pastor at Church at the Mill. This is a fantastic church. It was founded in 1988 uh, in South Carolina, but really is one of those churches that we saw a significant inflection point when the current lead pastor, DJ Horton, started there in 2014. It's now one of the fastest growing churches in the country. Ken serves as the executive pastor. You know we love executive pastors here at Unseminary. He started in 2016, and really over the last, uh, you know, these number of years, we've seen the attendance double and, you know, huge increases on the revenue and budget side. So, uh, Ken, we're so glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Rich, it's a pleasure. Thank you for asking me to, to be on here. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Oh, this will be really good. Why don't you give us a bit of a flavor for Church at the Mill? Give us a kind of a sense of the church. Give us kind of paint out the picture a little bit. Give us a little more detail on the church. Absolutely. Well, as you had mentioned, the church began in 1988. It actually started in a small uh, 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 living room of a, mm-hmm. of, a, of a church couple and uh, over time grew. And we've seen several iterations of growth over the last uh, 30 years. Uh, we're in a suburban community. We're in between uh, Greenville and Spartanburg, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an area that's been growing, which has been great. We've seen a lot of new families move into the community over the last several years. Uh, our our church is a very uh, well-diversified church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, many young people as well as a, a great senior adult population. It's a very, very good mix of people who quite candidly, love to come together and uh, just serve the Lord in so many different ways. 
Love it. So good. And so you're the executive pastor there. Um, I know that that role, again, we love XPs at, at Unseminary. That role has kind of different faces depending on, you know, looks a little bit different in, in different churches. But give us a sense of kind of the scope of your role. Tell us a bit of, you know, how do you think about and lead from that seat uh, at Church at the Mill? Absolutely. Well, just to frame that up, my uh, prior role has, was in corporate. So mm-hmm. I spent uh, a few decades, if you will, in corporate America. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, when uh, several years ago, I really just knew that it was the, the right time, felt God's call to uh, lead me into ministry. Didn't know what that looked like, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, out of obedience, I made that decision, left the corporate world, uh, spent two years at Dallas Theological Seminary, and then from there, just... Uh, uh, pursued what God uh, provided for us. And so we wound up in uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina at Church at the Mill. Uh, this church is a, a vibrant church. It's really been growing. In fact, since I came on in, uh, since 2016, we've actually seen the church double in size just in the last five years. Uh, mm-hmm. But as my role as executive pastor, uh, quite candidly, it is to do everything I can to free our senior pastor up so he mm-hmm. can do two things. Uh, set the vision and lead that vision for our church and also be there to pastor and shepherd with his congregation. So my objective is to keep all the distractions off of him so he can <laughs> yes. do what he does in, exceptionally well and that he can, he can continue to focus on that. Yeah, that's great. That's so good. I've, I've, uh, I've joked with other uh, XPs in the past that it seems like a lot of our jobs are uh, to fill out the parts of the role of senior leadership that our lead pastors don't want to do. And so, or shouldn't be doing, frankly, because we want them to focus on other, uh, other areas. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Well, when you came on board in 2016, when you look back to those, which I know 2016, particularly in this kind of post pandemic, whatever world, that feels like it's like the dark ages. That's like so long ago. But what, uh, what would you, when you look back and you think about changes that have happened under your leadership, what would be some of those areas or maybe an area that jumps out? You say, oh, this is an area where we've seen, uh, you know, kind of significant change and growth because of your leadership areas that you were able to kind of help focus, help the team focus on. What would be, you know, one or two of those areas that stuck, that sticks out to you? That's a great question. And in fact, our pastors, uh, we had an offsite earlier this week, which we do very occasionally, but uh, when we have the opportunity to. Mm-hmm. And we spent some time talking about this past Monday, how uh, the, the the life cycle of a church and how God ordains the church to grow, right? So when I came on in 2016, uh, mm-hmm. as far as the size of the church and the ministries that we offered, uh, you know, fit the size of the church at that time. At the time, we had somewhere between 1,300 and 1,500 attend on an average Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, depending upon the church will sort of dictate uh, what that looks like in terms of a staff and a culture. And uh, if you just like in a business, you can be part of a smaller company or a mom and pop business. But if you grow, so do the requirements of your capabilities and your competencies to grow mm-hmm. along with that. Mm-hmm. And so we have certainly experienced that. We experienced it back in 2016. There was actually quite a turnover in staff, uh, especially the mm-hmm. pastoral team in 2016. Not in, not really in a negative way. It was just that it was time to bring on 
a new skill set to be prepared mm-hmm. for the next level of growth that God was providing for us. And so, uh, quite frankly, this past uh, Monday, we had the same type of a conversation to say, you know, God uh, put this team together five years ago to be mm-hmm. equipped, uh, to equip us to go from roughly 1,500 uh, people attending on Sunday to now 3,000 people attending mm-hmm. on Sunday. So the dynamics are incredibly different, which means that we have to consider uh, how we operate as a staff that uh, works works in a way that serves the serves the kingdom. Right. Very cool. Well, one of the areas that oftentimes as an executive pastor that, you know, we're often typically charged with is really the financial management of the church, how we really build a strategy on that front. How, uh, what does that look like at Church of the Mill? Has has there anything that's changed on that front? How, how have you, uh, you know, how has the church kind of streamlined those approaches over the years? What's that look like for, uh, you know, for you guys? Sure. Uh, and, you know, uh, one thing that we're fortunate to have here locally is our senior pastor works very closely with a number of younger pastors in our community, sort of a mentoring uh, mm-hmm. mentorship. And so we actually had the opportunity to talk about different topics and finances, one of those. So uh, I've shared this with a number of, of, of pastors recently and talked about how important it is to have a a good budgeting process. And it doesn't matter if you're a small church or if you're a large church, you really do need to lay out uh, formally what you expect your expenses to be. Uh, So we really did take a page out of the corporate world. Uh, When I arrived here, our budget process begins in August uh, Mm -hmm. for the, for the next calendar year. And uh, at the time I came here, it was really limited to the really the previous executive pastor and maybe another leader or two to just determine the budget overall for everyone. Mm-hmm. And my desire was to really get the, the, the entire ministry team involved to mm-hmm. tell me what do they need. And mm-hmm. then we're able to, to aggregate that together, then to make really conscious decisions for how we want to budget for the next year. And in some cases, that meant trade-offs as we go through the process. But it really mm-hmm. helped us uh, focus not only in our budgeting, but also in our calendaring for the year as well. So by the time we get to October, November, we know exactly what our plan is for next year. We know exactly what our expenses look like. And it just puts us in a very high level of confidence that we can take that to the congregation and say, this is what we believe uh, we're, we're going to really require to operate for the year. Yeah, I love that. Can we drill into that a little bit? It seems like I run into uh, ministry folks who will say something like, oh, I'm not a numbers person. Like, I, I don't like spreadsheets and all that. So then they, it's like they abdicate this part of their, their leadership. I'm sure you never have that happen. How would you theoretically deal with that? Obviously, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, but how have, you had to, how have you done that? How have you kind of drawn that out of your entire team? Because I think that's a common thing we face in this area. That's a great question. And I think that uh, quite candidly, I can understand why some pastors may may push away from that, because honestly, and again, it gets back to seminary. That's not really an area that they're mm-hmm. taught. And, mm-hmm. and I can totally understand that. Uh, however, what uh, I think what we were able to do is really break it down into simple steps. So if you if you start from the ground level and say, well, what are you planning to to, to do next year? And one of the things that uh, really instilled in the staff early was, as we think about how we spend money, 
uh, how are we uh, operating as good stewards of the gifts that are being given to us by the congregation for the kingdom? So you put that in mind. And then you then the second is, uh, as we spend our resources, are we doing it in a way that really does impact the kingdom? So those are a couple of filters that uh, we use as we start talking about where we're going to spend our money each year. Mm -hmm. So with that said, it's easy to break it down. And, uh, you know, when I'm sitting down with our uh, pastor of students, you know, in our student ministry, we really kind of get back to what is it that you want to accomplish next year? Mm. And you start there and you lay that out. And then then you're able to take bite-sized chunks to start Mm -hmm. identifying what is it going to cost to pull off this event? or this, uh, this trip or, or extra needs that you have. So when you break it into those smaller pieces, I think it's more palatable for them to be able to talk a little bit more about what they think the expenses are as opposed to, hey, what, what's your budget needs for next year? That's, that's pretty overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how do you manage uh, this like tension that I think we feel where it's like our job is to say no to people and you know and you can become a bit of the killjoy uh oh, like don't talk to Ken he's just gonna say no uh again how do you how do you manage that with your team how do how have you kind of talked them through that because that's frankly just a normal part of the budgeting process right we we there's lots of stuff we'd love to do we've got to narrow in on what we can do uh how have you managed that tension with your people well, I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one that deals with that. So that's a that's <laughs> yes. for me. Uh, no, actually, that's one thing that I think as a team, we, we really work well together. I mean, the headline really is at the, at the beginning of our budgetary discussions every August is, listen, we're, we're not in a situation where we're going to increase our budget by 10 or 15% going into the next year. So it really kind of goes back to what's really working well in your ministry. Where do you see the big wins that you've had this year? What do you want to stop, start, and continue going into next year? And then that really sort of drives the discussion in terms of uh, are those are those areas that you want to focus on, uh, do they fit into the overall uh, plan that we have for the mm-hmm. church and our vision? And then we start talking about, you know, what, what will it cost? And are mm-hmm. there areas to be creative? And are there ways that we can streamline some expenses? Or if we change you, your idea and adjust it, maybe just a little bit, it might be a significant uh, cost efficiency by just fine-tuning. And mm-hmm. uh, the team, I will tell you, just over the last five years, the first year or two was a little funky, mm-hmm. you know? But mm-hmm. man, I can tell you this past year, and we did this in the face of COVID. Our budget process probably took two weeks. It was wow. easy. They, they know their role. They know what they want to accomplish. They come in prepared. And uh, it makes my life a lot easier because yeah, I don't absolutely. have to tell them no because they kind of already know what their parameters are to work within. Hmm. That's amazing. That's great. Now, when you think about, so a budget is is like, a, hey, this is what we think we're going to spend. And then real world happens. It's like that. What's that Mike Tyson quote? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Um, you know, then ministry actually happens and we find ourselves in the ministry year and we're having to either hold people accountable or adjust. How do you work through those uh, realities? How What does that look like for you as you 
connect with your team through the year as we actually track, okay, this is what we said we were going to do. Now, what are we actually doing? What's that look like for you guys? You know, that's a great question. The first year I was here, uh, the expenses outside of the budget uh, were somewhat significant. And there was not really anything significant impacting the church at that time. So mm. there were some, there, there were, it was very loosely interpreted what a budget really looked like. <laughs> uh, and, you know, again, coming in and, and having to create some more parameters uh, was important. But I think at this point in our, in where we are as a, as a team, is that as far as the ministries are concerned, they really do work hard to keep within the boundaries of their budget. And uh, we do have money set aside. Uh, we do have uh, savings. And if mm-hmm. something really does come up and there's a justi- justification for that, uh, we can. But, you know, from my business experience, I'll be very quick to say, OK, well, if we're going to want to do this, which is something different, mm-hmm. are there areas of opportunity where you can become more efficient in other areas that you plan for? Or what other what, what other creative ways can we offset those expenses? And what's interesting is our ministries are doing a great job uh, with that. What happens, uh, this is a, a great year for this example. We're building a, uh, a new student center as we mm-hmm. speak. And we really thought we were going to need to borrow some money to, to ultimately finish the, the expenses of it. Well, the Lord is, has just uh, been so, so faithful to us as a congregation. Uh, we realize that if we are able to spend some of our own resources, we will not have to borrow money this year. Mm. To add to that, we had a we had a church come to us in Q1 that uh, said we're we're kind of at the end of our lifespan and we don't believe uh, we believe Church at the Mill could come in and take us as a campus and uh, you know really take us to that next chapter of this church. Both of those uh, were expenses we had not budgeted for going into mm-hmm. this year, but because we do have reserves and because we are uh, pretty pretty cost efficient. Uh, mm-hmm. We were able to, to, to pull off some big wins in spite of uh, what we had budgeted for. Hmm. That's really cool. Love love hearing that. I, hopefully, listeners, as you're listening in, you're getting a bit of hope in this area. I know there's a lot of pastors who you know struggle with this, who struggle with the how do we you know use this as an opportunity to reinforce our vision? How do we use this as a way for us to connect our culture and it not to become just a drag, uh, but it actually becomes an accelerant? I, I hope you listened carefully there when uh, you know Ken talked about well, what happens if there's a new opportunity that comes up and. Um, you know, some great verbiage that you've clearly said a few times around, well, what are some other areas that we need to get creative in to become a little more financially, uh, you know, efficient if we're going to do this, these new things? Because uh, it, it feels like we're constantly presented with new opportunities that we didn't think of in the two week budget planning process <laughs> back in, you know, the summer or whatever, when we uh, we did that. Maybe pivoting a little bit to the church vision, church uh, culture. How have you seen the church culture, your kind of stated approach to how you want to do ministry, how has that impacted the budgeting process? Is there anything that you, maybe an example of a time where you're like, oh, we, we changed a bit or we made some, some you know, kind of differences uh, because of the kind of church we're trying to be uh, in our budgeting process? Any thoughts on that? Yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, I think it was four years ago, our senior pastor uh, put together and he, 
this had been on his mind for quite some time, but he was able to actually get it down on paper. And uh, he calls it the 10 characteristics of our leadership culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's something that we have uh, uh, rolled out to our staff several years ago. We, we, we visit it often. And mm-hmm. it really does help us draw out uh, the culture that we aspire to be. Uh, mm-hmm. First and foremost, we're here for the kingdom. But uh, as a church and as people and as human beings rubbing, rubbing elbows against each other, there just needs to be some basic uh, uh, guidelines that get put in place and that we all understand what those are. And I'd, I'd love to touch on that uh, a little later. But in, in terms of your question, one of those characteristics is we win because my win is helping you win. Mm. So the, the spirit of partnership across the team and across the ministries uh, is very strong. And so when it comes down to uh, acknowledging, first and foremost, our objective is to uh, grow the kingdom, uh, using that as our, as our benchmark, it really does make for constructive conversation when we're talking about maybe mid-year adjustments. You know, we get mid-year and we start talking about how we may want to make uh, some adjustments across the ministries. The team works very well knowing that at the end of the game, the end game is, you know, we're mm-hmm. here very cool. Love it. Uh, this is so good. Uh, so this is a, a maybe a bit of a budgeting wonk question. So apologize for this. So you are your calendar. Your budgeting year is based on the calendar year, which is uh, is you know has a lot of advantages because you've got that Q four fundraising bump, all of that. But then you do have the the school year. It's like a lot of ministries actually think you know September through May or June. Uh, not necessarily calendar year. Their natural rhythm is a little bit off. How do you deal with that in your planning process? Do you see that as an advantage or disadvantage? How have you leveraged that kind of nuance between those two? I, again, this I might be asking you to solve my own problems. It's like I find so many times with particular next gen ministries, it's 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 like a it's like a half step year when we when we're budgeted based on the calendar year. Thoughts on that? Interesting question. We actually do have to kind of play in both sandboxes at the same time because we do have a preschool mm. uh, on campus. So our preschool obviously operates on the same uh, semesters as our public schools. So our preschool, you know, they, they budget accordingly, just as you described. So we have to kind of play in, in both of those areas. One thing, and this this may be uh, too geeky for a lot of pastors, but I. Uh, I have actually gone back and have looked at our giving totals. I think I'm, I think I've got about 12 years of data now and I, and I have it by mind. And so Mm -hmm. it really does. uh, When I get to uh, start thinking about what I, what I envision the giving to be, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in the next year, uh, I've actually got really good rationale by month, what I kind of foresee the percentage of the overall year looking like. Yep, and yep. after 10 or 12 years of data, you know, when I'm looking at 10 July's year over year, I kind of know exactly what we're going to get. It's kind of yes. creepy how, how, how accurate it is. Yes. But uh, that, that's really what I've done is, is just, it's just leveraging some data in a pretty basic way to uh, yep. help me forecast a little bit better. Yeah, it's not that's not uh, com, you know complex analytics to pull out, but it's important that we use it. That's good. I love that. 
Um, so the standard post-COVID question, how has all this changed because of COVID? You know, like obviously this last year was was a tricky one. Budgeting is hard. We all faced this weird thing last spring where we're like, is anybody ever going to come back to church? And then now you're trying to plan and, and project into the future. And the, exactly to that point, the kind of 12 years of projected data, there wasn't a pandemic in any of those 12 years. So it can make it a little bit difficult to make some decisions. How has this process changed uh, as you're thinking about, you know, kind of coming out of the pandemic? What does that look like for you guys? Well, you know, uh, just like all churches a year ago in March, we, we all kind of hit the same wall at the same time. And for us, uh, we uh, this it just so happened it was just the decision we made. We were probably the first church to to get out there and publicly say we're not going to have a, a, a Sunday morning service the, the following right. Sunday. And uh, in, our, in and around our community, a lot of churches kind of folded at the same time. It was uh, mm-hmm. it was just it was surreal, right? And it was surreal in a lot of ways. We we, we didn't know. We didn't know what impact COVID was going to have on us. We did not know what COVID's impact was going to have on our congregation. Uh, I think there was so much of a a dire message that was out there. We we just were really trying to figure it out, just like everyone else. Uh, But what it did do is it got us to start scrambling. So we, Mm. we, like a lot of other churches, uh, moved to online uh, and we were very fortunate because we had just opened a brand new worship center the year before and had a, an incredible amount of technology that we could use to our advantage. So we just literally moved everything to focus our efforts on online uh, going forward uh, for several months. We moved all of our ministries online. Uh, we did BBS virtually uh, last year with uh, with good success. Um we, but but it's but still it was it was a big it was a big challenge. One of our big wins that we had last fall was that uh, we we have small groups, we have Sunday morning groups, and we have off campus groups. We have a mm-hmm. hybrid model. But last fall we launched in absence of small groups, uh, what we called e disciple, and this, it was a discipleship amongst one person leading two or three other people. And we were able to do that uh, very quickly. We were able to, 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 to move quickly to get that set up. And as it turned out, we ended up with uh, over 200, uh, I'm sorry, over 300 e-discipleship groups were created and over a thousand people jumped on. Uh, and this happened within a matter of weeks. So because of the fact that we did not have small groups and that was something very much missing, uh, we were able to put this together. So during the fall of 2020, as well as the spring of 2021, and actually we're, we're close to wrapping it up, we've had over a thousand people participate in direct discipleship, uh, which is a weekly curriculum that our senior pastors created. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's really been something that, especially in the fall, was the glue that really kept us together because we were we had reopened and we were seeing people coming back, but there were still a lot of people still hesitant. So eDisciple really allowed us to continue to have that additional glue to keep, keep the church connected. <laughs> and now that you know we're you know obviously 
you know, a little farther along in the opening process and, you know, you're, uh, you know, have more people attending in person. Are you going to, maybe it's too early to decide. Are you thinking about continuing that in the fall or are you continuing, you know, the e-disciple experience or what's that look like? You know, it's a great question. I think discipleship is is the the piece that every church would love to be able to develop further. There's so many books on it and there's so much right. desire to to have discipleship as a as a core part of our DNA. And uh, for us, we've we've had tremendous success over the last six or seven months with this e-discipleship program. Our desire really for the fall is to get back into the small group model 100%. So we're, we, we, we've had a lot of preparation already uh, underway to get us relaunched in the fall for our small groups. But we've learned so much from the eDisciple that uh, it's, we're, we're really trying to, to determine how we really keep that part of our, our DNA going forward. So it may, it may present itself ultimately as an alternative to small groups. We don't know yet, but we know that uh, we have had a massive amount of uh, positive feedback in terms hmm. of people growing in their walk. That's very That's cool. This has been a fantastic conversation. So helpful. Uh, it's been great to dig in on, uh, on these topics and I think helpful for people that are listening in. Definitely. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share just before we wrap up today's conversation? You know, I sent uh, I sent a, a PDF. It's an attachment. If it's yep. available, uh, it is on. As I mentioned earlier, the ten characteristics of our leadership culture, and I would just encourage uh, everyone to take a look at that. And it's not perfect, but what I have found, and and I believe that this is important in organizations. If there's ever more than one person in an organization, mm. if there are two or more, <laughs> you need to have a set of. Uh, 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 guidelines and things that you agree to, right? Any team, even in a marriage, you know what the expectations are of one another. But as you mm-hmm. get into a group, it's really good just to have that spelled out and then adopt it. And, and uh, if it needs to be tweaked, great. But have something in front of you that you as a team can and can all work towards. So I did provide our senior pastors uh, 10 characteristics of our leadership culture it has really served us well for several for a few years now, and uh, we, we quote it often. Uh, and there are some really good ones. Uh, you know, people matter most. I mentioned earlier, we win because my win is helping you win. One thing that's very uh, uh, very common in our in our staff is laughter is common. Maybe yeah, I love that. Too much. We have a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, but it also has some very serious things. Criticism is given gently and accepted humbly. Uh, ideas are welcome. There's several on here, but it yeah, really it. does give us a good uh, playbook to work with as a team. So yeah. I don't know. Hopefully that will help people. And it may not be exactly what you like, but put something together. Yeah, for your respective organization or your staff. Yeah, I feel like there's a whole other conversation we could have just on this piece. We'll provide uh, this in our show notes, friends, so you can download it. And I, and I would encourage you. Again, this may, you know, these words may not be what's important in in your culture, but it's important that you do similar work to characterize and codify really, Hey, this is what our culture is all about. And so, yeah, there's some great stuff in here. I love the laughter is commons. Ideas are welcome. This one. I love honesty is just a given and gossip doesn't exist. I love that. That's like, Hey, that's a big deal. That's a big deal in leadership for sure. 
Ken, this has been a gift to us today. Thank you so much for uh, being with us. If people want to track with you or with the church, where do we want to send them online? Absolutely. Uh, our website is churchatthemill.com. And it uh, should be pretty easy to get to. We're also Great. on Facebook. Uh, we're, we're on Instagram. But uh, please go to our website. And if you see anything or have any uh, suggestions to me, I'd love to hear from you. My email address is Ken at churchatthemill.com. I'd love to uh, always love new ideas and, and new ways of thinking. Great. Thanks so much, Ken. Appreciate you being here today. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.